0: Welcome back, everybody, to another exciting episode of the Undisrupted Podcast. Adam, uh, I always hear these, these phrases like, we need to make data-informed decisions. <laughs> and I'm always thinking in my head, like, are we actually doing that? Because I sometimes I feel like we make decisions based on gut. Sometimes, and lately, we make decisions based on political pressure. Are we actually? Have you ever? I know there's a couple of cases where you can actually make a decision based on data. Give me some examples. Is it happening in schools, database? You know,
1: everybody talks. Everybody talks about you know big data. You know that's that's this thing, big data. If we're data, like you said, data driven. Ah, you know, you, here's the thing. I will say you do have to have data to back what it is you're trying to do, whether it's what you're trying to purchase or. or or sustainability that I know we're going to talk about it a little bit in this, in this podcast, you have to have data that drives that, whether it's uh, keeping a program in place, because as we talked about with the forbidden phrase that we hate, learning loss, all these, all these ESSER dollars and, and ECF funding or whatever, there's some, some kind of accountability model you have to have. So you're going to have to find some data points, but here's the thing that I hate about that. You can find data to back anything that you want. Um, I could find some data right now to pay us a million dollars per episode uh, of our podcast. Uh, can, you,
0: can you hurry up on that, please? Can we, can we find that data?
1: I don't. I don't know if anybody wants to see the data, but I can find some data.
0: There's a there's a great website, and I can't remember the name off the top of my head now, but it does the thing where it's like it correlates like the amount of people that die of heart attacks versus the amount of people that in the state of Maine versus the amount of people that eat cheese or something. And they show that there's corollary data, like certain tracks that line up. You're right. You can manipulate data in different ways, Um, which is why I'm super excited with that setup. I'm super excited to invite on the show, Diane Dersh. uh, She and I have known each other for, uh, I feel like a thousand years, but not really. Uh, She's the technical project director at Digital Promise. Uh, She used to be a CTO of Green Bay. Diane, come up on, come on up onto the podcast. There, you can follow her on at Twitter at one of the best Twitter handles ever: Do or Die at D O E R D I. Do or Die. Thanks for coming to the show, Diane.
2: Hey, I'm so happy to be here with you too.
0: So tell me uh, that topic, the data deformed. I mean, you were in a role for a long for a long time where I'm sure data was being thrown at you all the time. Do you find, and in all the schools you work with now, nationally? Are you finding that schools are doing this better or are we just saying it?
2: Well, you know, data literacy is really a thing, right? Mm -hmm. And when we talk about uh, learning and data, um, again, as you talked about, there are many ways to show that learning is or isn't taking place. Us in the technology field really are working hard to help um, IT leaders all over the U.S., understand some data that we provide to them. Um, In our Verizon Innovative Learning Schools program, we provide LTE enabled devices um, to middle school, um, middle middle schools and into some high schools. And it's interesting that uh, when we share things like data use reports on all the devices that schools have, that provides really good talking points with the IT leaders. You know, oh, we see that there's a lot of data being used by these LTE devices. Um, You know, are they clearly they're using them at home? Or maybe you don't have a lot of data used at home. What does that mean? Does that mean that kids have access at home already? Or does it mean that uh, they don't have relevant assignments where they're doing work from home, um, et cetera. And so things like data use reports, uh, inventory reports, when we have our schools count how many devices they have left, um, how many are broken, how many went away and never came back again, um, You know that data is really good information regarding what is your repair process and how do you keep track of these devices. Uh, taking a look at device repair, Oh, my gosh, if there are schools who have really high incidences of broken screens, that is great data to bring before a leader to say, hey, how are your students handling these devices in schools? Are they, um, you know, swinging them around in their bag? Are they putting them in their backpacks and stepping on their backpacks? Are they slamming the cover shut on top of earbuds or pencils? You know, how can we... uh, I always call it move upstream to prevent the breakage from happening. So those are really good data uh, points that we use to try to help our leaders understand that data can be helpful in informing them about what's going on with their tech.
0: That's a good, uh, there's a good, yeah, the, first of all, a good fishing pun there with the upstream. And then Adam's showing, for those of you are listening on the podcast, you can't <laughs> see this, he's showing a book upstream. Who's that book by Adam? That's, oh, Dan Heath, yes. Moving things upstream. Well, yeah, the data, it's interesting because I, there was a, I know there's a huge data spike uh, just a few weeks ago, um, but it coincided with the launch of a, something called Squid Games on Netflix. And so <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that that data is also information. It's like, wow, all of a sudden, red kids, light, yeah, green light, <laughs> all of a sudden, all of the kids are using all this data. Why? And, and yeah, that, and of course that does, it does tell you, it informs your decisions as a tech leader.
1: So, speaking of data, I'm going to take it in a little different direction With when we start talking about data, because uh, you and I have had this conversation before at ISTEs and COSIN. Um, at times, you and I have been unicorns in rooms. Yep. Uh, we look around at, at times the lack of diversity in the uh, ed tech leader role. Uh, what are some things that you believe that we can do to really increase the diversity in the candidates that are out there to take on some of these roles as CTOs, CIOs, tech directors, tech coordinators uh, to really you know shake things up?
2: Really good question, Adam. And you know what, there is an article just released in Tech and Learning Magazine uh, where I was interviewed about that subject and building a diverse IT team. Um, one thing that we did when I was um, chief in Green Bay was host of visitation by students who had declared uh, technology as a possible career choice, a career cluster. And it was so cool to have these middle school students come through our department and see the diverse um, people that we had, you know, to talk to me as a chief, a female and a female of color. Uh, to hear about the different jobs in our tech department, and to see women in hardware positions, hardware technical positions, you know, helping them take uh, desktop computers apart and put them together again. Uh, It was really something. I mean, a quote from some of the students were, wow, uh, he looks like me. You mean I could do this as well? And one thing that we um, had done in Green Bay is there was a student intern program and there were high school students who helped, you know, over the summer in helping with summer tasks having to do with with technology. And so building that pipeline uh, of people who are interested in helping with technology and then helping them along the way, uh, building what we call the farm team, right? At the entry level positions, working internally to help build their capacity so that they can move through the ranks, uh, showing that there is a career pathway through your department are all good things. But first we have to get people interested, right? And so being able to be visible um, as females using technology, uh, as uh, people of color using technology, supporting technology, being technology executives, those are all things that we have to show our young people so that they can see themselves in these positions as well. So I appreciate you bringing that up, Adam. That's a, a great thing. Um, and we should always be encouraging, you know, fathers with daughters, yeah. girl dads, and I know both of you are. Um, you know letting your daughters know that there is a place for them in technology and that they are capable of doing all these things is important. In the old days. When I was young, um, you know, it was different and there were boy roles and there were girl roles. Um, but being an only kid, I did everything. <laughs> so, you know, an only child, I, I did boy and girl stuff. Um, but, you know, kids need to have those opportunities.
0: And it's challenging, too. And, and you know, speaking again, as a girl dad, they uh, you, you, you want to encourage them. Um, but don't push them too much because I think what's happening sometimes with my kids, I know particularly that, that the teachers know who their dad is. And so they're like, oh, well, you can you can be you can go fix all the iPads or the Chromebooks because your dad is who he is. And so it's I don't want them to also be like, oh, I hate technology because yeah. my dad's always into it. But talking about the student tech teams, you mentioned, you know, doing those high school interns. I feel like there's a lot of opportunity there that um, tech leaders are missing out on. And I don't we've asked and interviewed tons of tech leaders, and it's surprising how many don't utilize students in that role, either in the summer or even during the school year, how do you build that or how do you start with that? I mean, that's, and why is that important? I mean, you mentioned how it's important. I think you gotta have those those guppies in the pond just to keep with the fishing analogies. Um, sure.
2: So <laughs> so <laughs> um,
0: how do you get started with that and, and, and drum up interest in that kind of thing?
2: And that is something that our VILS program uh, promotes for our middle level. Um, grades is they, you know, our schools have to have student tech teams. Um, And I've really been honored to hear about some great things that the um, that the tech team supporters have done, you know, first of all, a lot of them have self nomination forms and have kids actually fill out an application. And they interview students. And they say we don't always pick the A students. In fact, we don't, you know, do that. We we look for kids um, of diverse backgrounds. Uh, we look for kids who may have potential in technology, but they really get people skills or potential for people skills because we know the importance of customer service, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, and so, you know, and you know, really, if you ask department leaders, IT department leaders, they will tell you the same thing. We need people that we can mold, people with good customer service and are who are willing to learn. And so the same thing goes for, for students. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, finding the kids who might not be excelling in class, but really is good at honing in on a problem and problem solving and getting things done. And you know, the people who can multicast because they've done a lot of things and know a lot of things, um, those are the kids uh, that, that um, it, it sounds like our um, people, are, our teams are selecting. And then providing them the customer service skills uh, and allowing them to practice those things, as well as teaching them the level one basic things, the troubleshooting things that um, people would would do first. Did you turn it off and turn it right on, on again? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Is it fully charged? You know, yeah. those types of things. Have you closed all your windows? Um, Three finger
1: salute. Did you control alt <laughs> delete it? <laughs> <laughs>
2: So, you know, having having your tech team students do those things um, could really help save some time, right, for the level two problem solving that a building technician could bring to um, the table. So, um, you know, we have some very successful uh, tech teams and. Uh, They are really doing some great things and also aging out of middle school and bringing the program to the high schools. And I think that's really cool, too.
1: So one thing I want to talk about next is we miss you from our field. You know, you were you were on the side with me and then you decided to Same thing at Carl. Uh, but <laughs> you're doing some amazing uh, work with Digital Promise. Um, could you kind of just give us a, a a quick, you know, synopsis of the work that you're doing currently with Digital Promise, as it pertains to some of the sustainability that uh, tech leaders are going through in a- right now, as it pertains to using all these SR dollars and and ECF funding and and all that stuff, because some of us don't know what comes next. Uh, hopefully we do, but if not, I know you have some really great information that you can share.
2: Right. I really feel honored uh, that I was asked to put together a sustainability toolkit. And that is something that I hope will be evergreen uh, because I continue to update it as I talk to more experts in the field. Um, And I hope that, you know, people will visit it often. Uh, Being you know the person in charge of directing the team to do life cycle planning uh to coordinate purchases and all those types of things i feel like um you know there are things that could be helpful to others as we talk about sustainability because that's something i've always been concerned about you know um donors choose which i love and they're great uh but used to be a thorn in, in my side because we would have we would have people saying, "Hey, I got money to buy this uh, 3D printer! Yay! When you know it's coming Monday, um, and great." But what does that mean? You know, are you going to be looking to our department to provide the filament for it when it breaks? Are you expecting us to fix it? Uh, when it wears out, are you expecting us to buy you another one? Uh, and so we, again, upstream, went upstream and said, okay, uh, here's what you need to do. You need to give us the whole sustainability plan before we say it's okay that you can get this, this uh, thing, right? And you need to think about all this stuff. Uh, you're who's going to buy the filament? You are, <laughs> and we're putting it in this document. <laughs> who's who's going to fix it? You are. Um, who's going to learn how to use it and teach others? You are. Um, all those types of things, so that all of that is answered before we finally say, Yes, you can have it because it is a great thing, right? Donors choose is a good thing as long as it fits into the school's ecosystem, and so, um, that's how. I got started in sustainability. I wanted um, to empower the people who were getting stuff to plan for the future as well as get their cool stuff now. Uh, and, and now when we see you know, money coming through in funding to go to schools, um, I, my concern has grown <laughs> tremendously because there is such a thing as a funding cliff. I mean, it's really cool to get all this stuff now. Um, and we do have to think about the total cost of ownership. Who's going to train people? Who's going to do the repairs? Who's going to buy additional stuff when all the power cords get broken or lost? You know, all that kind of stuff. But then also, once that funding runs out, what are we going to do about it? And so the toolkit is designed to help school districts think about what they can do now. Uh, you know, once you buy all the stuff, you need to set up a replacement cycle. And so you've got to figure out where does your funding come? How long are you expecting the hardware to last? And you need to build a plan to start replacing that. And chances are you will never get a pot of money like you have gotten now, right? right? And so you need to divide your purchases you know, into fourths or thirds or fifths or whatever and buy a little bit of stuff every year um to get to your goal of of total replacement so it really does require a a long runway of planning things Um, and on the website i actually provide a sample of like a seven-year plan because you really do have to think about that how is this going to integrate um, with your with your multifunction copier replacement cycle, um, with your access point replacement, with your UPS replacements, you know all the E-rate stuff that you've got, um, and putting laying that all out, and also letting your board of education know that funding is needed during these times, and I here's how much I'm going to need is really going to be important, so you don't go over the cliff. Um, and suddenly, find out you have no devices and no funding.
1: <laughs> and that's something really important to remember. Um, I was on a webinar the other day. We were talking about asset management, but it's that whole concept of understanding that it's more than just the devices. Because even if you take devices out the picture as a technology department, you are you already have to replace things anyway. <laughs> you know, your 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 racks, your cores, your APs. Um, you know, increasing your 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 uh, your fiber, uh, all, all these things have to happen anyway. And so yep. you have to really plan and package all of that together in addition to buying devices and keeping them up and running and all that. So really having that full picture is really mm-hmm. important. And I, I like the work that you uh, have done there. And we're going to make sure we include that in the description of the podcast so everybody can definitely click on that and check out that work. Um, I've, I've downloaded it, shared it with, uh, my state technology folks, so they can see what's going on. Awesome. So I want to make sure everybody has that information. So, you know, thank you for that work that you've done. You've made my life a whole lot easier.
2: <laughs> Good to hear. Because again, you as you've talked about, you know, I'm kind of out of that field. But when the um, pandemic came along, I was really like, how can I help people? I I need to help my peeps. And so it was things like building these toolkits and, and working through some other venues to provide, um, you know, helpful tidbits. Uh, I think, I hope that it's helped others, so...
0: See, hey, Diane, you went with that route, and when I left and the pandemic hit, I just started a podcast. But I mean, <laughs> we, we help in different ways. Um, we do build a sustainability toolkit. I do a twenty minute podcast with Adam and eat hot wings on them sometimes. I, need, I know um, <laughs> this is why she is the angel of tech. I have always said. Yes. But uh, let me uh, let me let me do a different kind of wrap up question with you because we all know that you're an avid avid fisher person. Um, so um and we've had some some puns to do this so I'm gonna this is gonna be a little bit different um how do you feel like uh fishing is analogous to leading a technology department or is there is there some way that it's all tied? I'll give you a second to kind of think about this I'm gonna set you up on this because I was thinking when you were mentioning the donors choose it's very similar to someone going out catching a big fish and then going great I've got it but they don't know how to take the hook out how to clean it, how to cook it, how to do everything with it, right? So how do you uh, how do you feel like fishing is analogous, or maybe it's not at all? Maybe it's just like it's your escape, but um is there, is there, <laughs> is there catch is there, and release. There's some balance. <laughs> there's gotta be a catch and release. There's some balance there. So so how do you feel like it's analogous to fishing and tech departments?
2: I love the higher level thinking that you've there got go. going on. You got me doing here, moving up the taxonomy. Um <laughs> okay, well, here's the thing. Um, on the lake that I fish and, you know, you can catch some bass and you can catch some perch, um, and a lot, a lot of panfish, but the fish that I find most challenging is a Northern, uh, Northern pike. We call them Northern here in Wisconsin, but they're pike. So they've got these big eyes, they're skinny little body. Um, they love to bite on anything. They'll go on worms. They'll go on spinners, pretty much anything you throw in the water. Um, and as you're reeling up, you'll you'll see that northern uh, just just hit and then they'll pull and they flap around a lot and you try to get them in the boat. they're slimy. I put a glove on. Uh, <laughs> my husband uses a, a, a little plier thing because when you got a treble hook uh, with three hooks when when they're flailing around it's very easy to get the hook into you. Yep. Um, and so, When I go out myself uh, and I don't have anyone to, you know, help me de-hook, I think, oh boy, is this really going to happen? And if it happens, what is my strategy? Um, This morning, because I am um, involved in a group called Women in Technology, we sponsored a ransomware um, webinar. And I really think about ransomware as being the big northern that flaps around can get you in the treble hook and all those things and the biggest thing is it's not if it happens it's when it happens right and being ready for ransomware knowing where all your assets are being able to cut things off um, all those types of things i compare that in my head to a big old stinky flappy northern (laughs) (laughs) that can just really burn you (laughs) that was good
0: that was so, good. I, I thought you were going with phishing attacks for a minute, but with the ransomware. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Yes, actually. And that's, uh, we are actually, the. I don't know, this podcast is probably going to come out after it's out, but we do have a, Adam and I are actually hosting a virtual workshop on ransomware, phishing. I mean, all of those mm-hmm. things. I think you're right. I, it's great that you started that organization, but yeah, a uh, great tie in there. I was, I, there's so many different directions you could go with the whole, the pike. But now I've not only have I learned something about fish, but yes, I've learned about fishing as well Um, (laughs) with a PH. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) we wanna thank you again, Diane, for joining us uh, today. Uh, Where can our listeners find more about you and your good work?
2: Oh, well, um, let's see. Uh, LinkedIn would be a good place. Uh, And that's Diane Dirsch at LinkedIn. And then as you had talked about do or die on Twitter, uh as well
0: awesome and we'll make sure that we tie into the show notes the the digital promise document the sustainability toolkit which is a powerful toolkit all leaders need to take a look at this um, because uh these funds aren't gonna, as she said these funds aren't going to be here forever so uh, we want to thank all of our listeners out there. Be sure to subscribe and yeah. give us a review. We'd love to, uh, have a shout out for you on the show. So we appreciate those reviews as you guys bring them in. This has been the undisrupted podcast brought to you by future ready schools. He's Adam and you can follow him at ask Adam three. And he's Carl
1: and you can follow him at Mr. Hooker. And remember we are better together
0: and we are better undisrupted.
1: undisrupted.
0: This podcast is made possible by the generous support of Amazon Web Services.